Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. So that noise that you just heard is called Reveille. Um, Reveille is what we play on bass when it's time to wake everybody's dumbass up. Before you go on your morning run or before you go eat morning chow or breakfast or whatever you want to call it, they play Reveille. So welcome to Zero Blog 30 the podcast edition, where I'm going to be spending time every single week going over issues that are important to me, that are important to you, and getting our stories out. Um, that's, a, that's an important thing to do with the military generation that we have right now, because we've been serving and doing things since since 2003, really, when we entered Afghanistan, and even before that, fuck, if you want to tell stories before that, I'm not going to cut it off just on the, the war on terror group, but even before that, we'll tell your stories too. And by stories, I don't necessarily mean just combat stories. Because yes, combat stories are important. And they shape the course of of your life. Like They've they've shaped the course of my life for sure. But I also want to tell the stories that are lighthearted, that are fun. That make us as the military community who we really are. And if you're not a military dude, listen too, man. You might learn something. Because we've been through some shit. We've seen some shit. And we also want to joke around about shit and balls and dicks and everything in between. Like, that's what life was like for us. And I want this to be a, to show that not everything in the military that you see has to be about placing flowers on graves and going to memorials and doing all this super sad stuff because that's not who we are as a people. By and large, the military people that I know are happy. They like drinking beer. They like going to barbecues. They like going to baseball games, they like going fishing, they like going hunting, they like going to fucking poetry readings, they like going to musicals, they like everything and all things in between. And that's what I want to show this podcast, through this podcast, is that when you talk about the military, you talk about America, it doesn't always have to be super reverent, because that shit gets old, and it gets sterile, and it gets stale, and there's enough of that. There's enough people that cover the sad stories of PTSD and 22 veterans every day kill themselves. And are those important issues? Absolutely, they are. And they're important issues to me, and I've talked about it on podcasts before. But that's not what I want this to be. Sure, I want to highlight the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every single day, and that PTSD still runs rampant, and that seeking help oftentimes has a huge social stigma when you're in the military or when you're out of it. Seeking mental health makes you look appear to be weak, and that's not the case. I do it, and I feel like I'm a pretty strong individual. And I want to share the stories of the strong individuals who are often funny as fuck. So that's what we're going to do. This is Zero Blog 30. Well, like I said, this is Zero Blog 30, and Connor was with me last time, and he's back with me again. And we're really excited about the feedback that all you guys gave to us in the first episode and the, well I guess it was the second episode you heard that it was the pilot episode but the first episode that we decided to release and it just happened to come out early and you guys caught the demo um, all the positive feedback 
was awesome. It was really encouraging, and we're really excited about it. Don't you think, Connor? No, that was absolutely uh, 100% positive. It was really nice that everyone had so many nice things to say. Uh, some constructive feedback, which we also appreciate because we're certainly not perfect. Uh, so, you know, just keep listening. Tell your friends, and uh, we'll try to keep getting better for you guys. Exactly. So the so in the, my first pilot episode, I did it essentially all by myself. I didn't have Connor with me, and it was just me basically going and talking for 50 minutes about issues that were important to me. And I had another dude come on, um, but that's neither here nor there. But in the first episode, I kind of gave a little bit about my background, but obviously that, that got cut. So I'll do it again. Um, when I was younger, my entire life, I always wanted to be a preacher. Like I, like my entire family was really religious, and they still are. Um, my grandpa was a pastor for 50 years, and so I grew up thinking that's something that I was really interested in doing. Well, I graduated high school from Pensacola, Florida, after my dad was a Navy, kid, or Navy guy when I moved around a whole lot. And I ended up going to Bible school to be a preacher. Um, I went there for three years, to two different Bible schools for, for three years total. And I was getting ready to graduate in a year. And I thought, man, I'm 22 years old. Or not even 22 years old yet. I was like 20 years old. I mean, this Bible school, I don't mean to interrupt, but this Bible school, does that count? Is that like a college? Well, focus? Uh, you think it does while you're going there. And the, the, <laughs> acad the academics were actually pretty tough. Like from where I graduated from um, in May to where I went before, the mm -hmm. academic standard wasn't even close, like what you're required to learn. Because uh, it was, I did philosophy and theology. So I was sure. like a theology major and philosophy and we did like Plato and stuff like that. That's a lot harder than learning how to properly conjugate verbs in a communication degree. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so um, I went to Bible school and I was there for three years and I thought, man, I'm about to be done and then I'm gonna be a full-fledged preacher telling people that are like 55, 60 year old dudes like what they should do morally with their life when I legitimately have no real world experience. Mm -hmm. So you can picture how that, how well that would go. Like dudes in the South, like looking at a kid like me that was had a few tattoos already and was 20 years old, thinking that he knows everything. Because like Bible college is like every other college. When you're about to graduate, you think you know everything on the fucking planet. Like you, like you're so educated because you're about to have a bachelor's degree and you're so smart. Well, I decided that I didn't have any world experience, so I would join the Marine Corps because 9/11 had happened, and then it was 2000. Um, it was late 2003 at the so time. You graduated in 2003. I was about to graduate college in 2003. Okay. I graduated high school in 2001. Okay. Um, so early 2004, I went. I joined the Marine Corps and, to get that life experience, and I got a little more than I bargained for. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> get a little little extra on top with uh, the Marines. Yeah. So it wasn't like you go this culture shock of going from. Bible school to Marine Corps recruit training was insane. From everybody being like super nice to you basically all the time, everybody has like this real sweet disposition to getting told you're a fucking moron, like you'll never amount to anything. Why are you here? You're skinny. You'll never achieve anything. Like all you have a small penis. Yeah, like the recruit <laughs> next to you can't even see his dick because it's covered in pubic hair. <laughs> so, like your whole world, my whole world was just like completely turned on its head. So I ended up graduating boot camp, and in boot camp, I was like, man, like I don't know how I'm going to be able to maintain because I was still while I was going to boot camp, I was still maintaining this 
like super Christian disposition, like about mm-hmm. myself. Like I wanted to not cuss and not like have sex. I was still a virgin at the time. Shout out to me for keeping my virginity until I was like almost twenty two. So, That's impressive. Yeah. So I'm sure the stoolies won't take that and throw that back in my face a whole bunch of times. <laughs> so like I end up graduating boot camp. I go on to MP school. I graduate top of my class there, go to uh canine school, graduate top of my class there, and then hey, hold on, let's take take a step back. Why why MPs? Why did you want to work with dogs? Were you just a big dog lover? Or you always wanted to be a cop as well, or what was the, what was? I don't know how it works in the Marines when you're in boot camp in terms of deciding what part of the Marines you're going into. Great question. So what happened was I was at. So what happened was so I was sitting at the the recruiter, and he was like, "Well, what do you want to do?" I was like, "Dude, I just legitimately want to go as fast as absolutely possible." I want to go to boot camp. I want to be done with it. I don't have a place to live. My parents weren't paying my rent anymore because I was out of school. And I was like, I just want to go as soon as I can. And he was like, well, somebody dropped out two weeks ago, and they, I have an MP spot open. And I was like, sure, done. Like, Because I, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know the difference between sure. infantrymen or I, – because I hadn't been in yet. So I didn't really know anything. I just thought oh, – I was like, well, is that just going to be like a cop? He's like, no, like a Marine – MP, like you essentially roll around in Humvees and do like convoy security. I was like, that sounds all right. Mm-hmm. So I thought like I can shoot some of those big guns like the Mark 19 and the M2 machine gun. Like, so that might be an all right job. I, that's something I could get behind. And I didn't even know dog handler was a thing until I was getting ready to graduate from MP school. Okay. So, so I went on this board, like whenever you do well, they put you on these boards to see where you can go. Like, so for an MP, if you do well, you can either go to like SWAT school or dog school. And when they said I could be a canine cop, I was like, that's pretty badass, man. Like I can tr- teach a dog to find drugs or bombs or whatever. Oh, yeah. Those dogs are very impressive. It's unbelievable what they're capable of. And it was the best decision I ever made military-wise. Like it, it was it was awesome. I love being a dog handler because it's still something that I can use today. Like I teach my dogs to do cool stuff still. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's a great skill that I, that I have and I'll have forever. Um and I feel like in the Marines, I think it is the case where if you're a dog handler, you can kind of do a lot of different things. You can get attached to a lot of different types of units and then as a result have a lot of different experiences. Exactly. And that's that's basically how mine ended up. Like I went to Okinawa, Japan for my first three years and I wanted to deploy, man. Like, you know, being an Army guy, like you don't mm-hmm. join the armed forces, the, especially the Army and the Marines without – a desire to go what we call downrange, go to sure. deploy. Like you want to do that. That's what you want to do. So I was trying and trying and trying to go. Well, luckily for me, I, I really got to be like the Aaron Rodgers of like dog trainers because I didn't just get there, be three months on my base and get to go. Like I got to legitimately train every day for three years to get really, really good at what I did mm-hmm. by training for 60, 70 hours a week for three years. Yeah. Um, so then when I went, I got attached to one of those units like you're talking about. I got attached to 1st Recon Battalion, which for dog handlers was really cool. Like, we, like for if you're not listening, reconnaissance Marines for, like, a layman that doesn't really understand. And if there's any recon bubbas listening, I'm sorry for making this comparison. But <laughs> reconnaissance Marines are like the Navy SEALs of the, <laughs> the Marine Corps. And reconnaissance dudes will be pissed that you compare them to Navy SEALs because they'll say that they're better and things like that and some of them are and so shout out to all the recon listeners if you're listening i apologize <laughs> but so i went there i ended up getting shot on deployment um got some awards for bravery and 
got sent back um, after my deployment was done. And then I moved on to Quantico and did some presidential security and things like that. So I got, I had a pretty cool presidential security just be by being in Quantico really like, because I was attached to Quantico, it was just super easy for us to get a call from the state department and be like, Hey, you need to go with the secretary of defense here or, Hey, the president is going to Camp David and they need extra security. So we would go up there for Camp David or we would go anywhere. I mean, Cuba, fucking everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. We had guys that would go to Djibouti, Africa, all of Tokyo from my base, like everywhere. That's so cool. Yeah, so it was a really good assignment. So, I mean, I know Pensacola pretty well. And if anybody else knows, they know it's a very relaxed town, really chill vibe. And were you like a pretty, you know, rebellious kid? And then, you know, you decided to go the way of the pastor and then you ended up in the Marines. Was that a tough transition? And did you experience any kind of culture shock going from like laid back Pensacola, Florida to Paris Island? Um, not really. Cause I was always kind of a wild child anyway. I wasn't wild and like, the, like, Oh, he's doing drugs and drinking and shit. But I was always kind of like a weird kid. And so you're a weird kid. I don't believe it. Yeah, I know. Right. So it was, <laughs> so that's basically how it went down. Yeah. So that's my, that's my background. I don't want to go like too far in it. And it's hard to talk about your background. And I'm sure, you know, like, cause you're about to do yours as well. It's yeah. hard to talk about your background and give a legitimate, <laughs> like assessment of what you did without sounding like a fucking douche at the same time. Like and really patting yourself on the back, you know, yeah. the Aaron Rodgers line probably did that a little bit for me. <laughs> like, over the top. like I'm, I'm essentially like the best guy, you know, <laughs> like no, n- not to brag, but I'm pretty damn good. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So what about you? So you, how did you, you played football? Well, yeah, no. So, I mean, mine was really more athletics driven. Um, you know, I was an athlete in high school, played football, basketball, baseball, and I think it was probably about my sophomore year that I knew football was going to be my ticket to college. And at that time, I was familiar with West Point. My grandfather had went there. I'd been going up there since I was a little kid to football games, so I always knew it very well, but I was always saying to myself, there's no way I'd go to school there. There's way too many rules. I don't even know if they have girls there. This is not going to be the place for me. And then... Throughout the recruiting process, West Point was one of the schools that came along. And at this time, just to give you a frame of reference, my senior year of high school was 2001. So senior year, uh, 9-11 happened. And I'm going through the recruiting process with West Point. And then I took my visit up there, and it was really pretty much, it just, it was one of those things in life where it felt right. And I didn't have to think about it at all. It was like, you know what? I like the coaches. I like what the school stands for. I know it's a great education. This is it. I'm going to West Point. And it was then and there as a 17-year-old that I pretty much set myself up for the next eight, nine years, or nine years of my life. Because as I had mentioned uh, previously, you got the five-year military commitment. So once I decided I was going to West Point, then I essentially also decided that I was going to be in the Army for at least five years. So graduated from West Point uh, as an artillery officer. And funny enough, I stuck around for a year as a grad assistant on the football team, which was a great experience. And I got plenty of other stories we can get into another time with that. Um, And then I went to uh, Lawton, Oklahoma. Have you ever been to Lawton, Oklahoma? No, but it sounds wonderful. 
I was going to say don't ever go to Lawton, Oklahoma. If there's anyone listening who lives in Lawton, Oklahoma, I'm sorry. There's a chance you're just stationed there at Fort Sill and it won't be forever. But Oh, Fort Sill, dude. Fort yeah. Sill fucked me out of money big time because that was like our bank, dude. Like when you graduate boot camp, it was the first place. And so – Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude, they – like predatory lenders like a motherfucker. Like the oh, yeah. the Fort Sill National Bank. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible area. Yeah. Um, so I was there for about eight months training, uh, in artillery school, which is, um, weird because it's, it's a ton of math, but it's unlike any math you've ever done in school before. So just like anything else in life, if you've never done it, it's difficult. It's the kind um, of math where if you fuck up a little bit, you blow up a Syrian hospital. Full yeah. Joke. And that's not good. They usually <laughs> yeah. frown on that shit. Yeah. That's problematic for sure. Yeah. And what really sucks is, you know, we have all this tremendous technology now on these computers. You just punch in some numbers and the round goes exactly where you're supposed to. But before they let you play with those toys, you got to learn how to do everything old school by hand. So it'd be like, oh, you have a TI-89 calculator, but here, use this abacus and figure out this math. That's kind of like the difference there. But so then I just ended up at my first platoon at, at Fort Hood, Texas. I uh, trained there for a little while, and then I deployed to Iraq for a year. I did a whole mess of different things in Iraq as a platoon leader, as a fire support officer, um, as an intelligence officer. And then I went back to Iraq, and, or excuse me, uh, back to Fort Hood in June of 2009, and uh, I had a couple different operations jobs for the next two years at Fort Hood. Pretty, pretty uneventful, with the exception of that one day when that gentleman decided to shoot a lot of people. That was a pretty crazy day. Yeah. But, um, yeah, beyond that, I served, uh, served out my time at Fort hood until 2011 and then, uh, moved back to New Jersey where I'm from and where I am now. In case you don't remember, he's talking about when major Hassan, um, went on a shooting spree at, uh, Fort hood. Yeah. So, rough day. Yeah. It was a rough day. So we're going to move, move on. That's our, we were both kind of, we talked about it before. We were both kind of hesitant to give it, and I had talked to KFC and some other guys, and they're like, you really need to put it out there at least once, like the things that you did, did because it gives you credibility when you talk about military-related uh, issues. And I think that's true. I think that people, if if we want people to take our voice and take our voice seriously, they have to know why um, we're speaking on, and not even that it's a level of authority, but that it's just, that we've, just been, we've been there a little bit. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit experience. So that's that. Um, so yeah, you talked about culture shock. So when I first got to boot camp, one of the first things that happened to me, so the very first thing, like everybody knows that when you're a Marine, physical standards are pretty damn important. Like that's not, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. So the, mm-hmm. one, the first thing that you do, you carry this heavy ass pack, they call it the sea bag drag. So you carry this heavy pack to the barracks that you're going to be staying in for the next 13 weeks. So... I'm a little dude at the time. I'm probably like 145 pounds. Like I was really skinny until I got to be like 27 or 28. So I was a little guy carrying this heavy ass pack. (laughs) And I thought, well, I have all this like phlegm and mucus and stuff in my mouth. So I'm going to spit it. So as soon as I spit it, like this drill instructor, and I don't know if you've ever seen like Marine drill instructors, but they are some fucking intense individuals. So the the drill instructor comes up to me and he's like, what the fuck did you just do? (laughs) And like, I'm thinking like, uh, I'm like carrying this pack, man. But, um, but you refer to yourself in the third person. So you're like this recruit spit. And he's like, 
oh good, you want to spit on my parade deck, pick that shit up and put it in your cargo pocket. And I had spit probably like 100 feet back, you know. So I'm thinking like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, <laughs> Pick it up and put it in my cargo pocket. So like, I'm like running back with this heavy ass pack, like looking on the ground for this spit that I know that I'm never going to find. So I eventually just put my three fingers down pick it up like act like i'm picking up some spit and shoving it in my cargo pocket and he's like no 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 that's not where you spit find your fucking spit and pick it up and put it so like for 45 minutes like the rest oh, of shit the rest of my platoon is like way the fuck far ahead of me and i'm just sitting here like going to random spots on like the asphalt yeah picking up spit like picking up nothing and putting it in my cargo <laughs> pocket and at this time, like, it's gone. It's, like, melted. Yeah, and I know... 45 minutes later in the sun, there's no spit there anymore. <laughs> yeah, but you can't say it to these drill instructors because yeah. they they're not giving a fuck. It's just a mind game. But yep. in your first, really, 120 minutes that you're on Paris Island, you have no idea what mind games are playing with you. So mm -hmm. I'm, like, running around like a madman, sweating my ass off, like, already looking for this spit. And I'm thinking, dude, what in the world did I get myself into? So huge culture shock from Bible school to looking for my spit and getting cussed at for like 45 minutes while I was looking at a spit. How did you eventually get out of that situation? He told me I was worthless and I would never find the spit just like I would never find a girl to have sex with me and I would never <laughs> find my rifle. I would never find a spot in the Marine Corps. Like I would never find like all these things that were immensely important to me at the time. Like he like pierced inside my skull and knew what was going to shake me and I would never find those things because I couldn't find the spit that I spat on the ground Yeah, 45 minutes think, ago. Would you ever think about maybe finding him and writing him a letter and saying, hey, here's a picture of my two kids, so I did I, in fact have that sex? I, I hope he signs on to Twitter one day and I have more followers so I can fucking roast his ass, make him feel, <laughs> <laughs> make him feel like a real nerd. All right, that, that works. Um, so, but then, I mean, all right, you spit on the ground, that's... I think a little, I shouldn't say extreme. That's just, you know, understanding discipline and, and upholding standards. No, no, no. You can say it's extreme. That's, it's fucking extreme. Yeah, no, it's certainly on the more extreme side of like the customs and the things that we do in the military. Was there anything that you learned that you had to do that you thought like you were surprised about because you thought in your head, this is absolutely ridiculous. Why can't I be doing this? Uh, yeah. So it was February when I went. I went in February and it like on Paris Island, it's still like a coastal town. So it gets a little bit cold. It's not like crazy cold, but it was probably in the 30s. Mm -hmm. And it was our first day doing rifle drill. <laughs> so I'm sitting there holding a rifle and you hold it with your fingers out. You don't have any gloves or anything like that. And you know, like when you're playing really cold football, how you can't feel your fingers after a while. Sure. So you can't grip it. Yep. It was basically like that, but with just with a weapon in your hands. Mm -hmm. So we come inside after drilling for like five or six hours. And the first thing I do is like, I need to warm my hands up. So I go and turn the hot water on in the, uh, in the sink. Mm -hmm. And I put my hands underneath it. And the drill instructor sees the steam start to rise because they turn off like all the heat and shit inside the squad base too. So you can see the heat start to rise from, mm -hmm. from the sink. Um, and he just loses his fucking mind. Like I, like I had just like 
bombed Chicago or something like that. Like it was like the worst thing that he could have ever imagined happen because I put my hands. He's like, why the fuck are you so weak that you need to warm your hands up? And like, I answered the only way I could, I'd only been there for like two days. So I was like, cause this recruits hands are cold. And he's like, oh, my oh, fucking shit. God. That he's like, oh, he's fucking cold. Oh, <laughs> my God. And it was just like, it was on. He's like, now I'm going to warm you up. So they that, that's when they take you to a place called the quarter deck, and they just fucking smoke you. It's like push-up after push-up after push-up. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm doing all these push-ups. I'm completely exhausted. And I'm just like, man, what in the fuck did I get myself into? So, Were you a good recruit, you think? I mean, like, obviously I think um... – you know, Marine basic training, Army basic training is designed to break you down in some way. And no one's going to be like Forrest Gump where he just goes through and is perfect in every way. But overall, would you say you were good or did you fuck up a lot? Yeah, I think a lot. It helped me because I was older and I had went through like I had gone through some school and I was I wasn't 18. I wasn't like a really, really young kid. Mm-hmm. So after a while, I started to realize they're not making us go back and forth before we go eat because we're fucking up marching. They're making us go back and forth because the platoon ahead of us is still halfway in the middle of the road and they can't have the cars blocked. But yep. the first couple of weeks, you don't notice that thing because you don't, you don't notice like your surroundings. You just know that you're getting fucking screamed at and you're going back and forth 200 meters at a time. And you're just like, come on, guys. Let's just put yeah. one foot down the front of the other. Let's do this. We can do it. Yeah, no, there's all those all sorts of times where there's a lot of those things where it doesn't make sense. But if you look back on it, certainly now and possibly even, you know, a week or two after the fact, you realize like, oh, all right, that makes sense. And I feel as though everything that's done, especially in the basic training phase of uh, the Army, the Marines, or in my case at, at Beast Barracks when I first showed up to West Point, there's a purpose behind everything. And there's a purpose behind all, even the stupid extreme stuff that we do in the military, there is a purpose. You might have to dig a little deeper for some of those meanings than others, but there is always that purpose there. Yeah, and I mean, just so everybody listening knows, like you figure it out later on, especially like um, with what happened. So you have to make your um, bed or your rack, what we would call it, your rack. You have to make it a very <laughs> certain way, a very specific yep. way. And the reason that you do that is so whenever you're in a combat situation, although people that haven't been there probably don't understand the correlation, that you do everything exactly the way you're told every single time because it's called instant willing obedience to orders. Like it's not about you have a leeway of doing it just a little bit different. Even if it, even if the angle is a 49 degree angle on the corner of your bed sheet, it's supposed to be a 45. Two yep. 45s on both sides. It's not a fucking 49. It's not a 48. It's a 45-degree angle. You have instant willing obedience to orders. So that's what they establish. And you don't realize that at boot camp, and you realize it a little bit later on. And Certainly deployments, if you are working, like... And instance, your, especially in your line of work. Your line of work, two degrees difference is a fucking... Yeah. <laughs> that's a war crime. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's, that's, that's me lie. I'm standing beho- uh, before a military tribunal. But what I was going to say was... You know, for me, during my deployment, I left one unit and I went to another. And we have those standards in place so that I can seamlessly transition and not miss a beat. And I can start operating with that unit. Obviously, it takes some time to get used to people, but the standards are the same. And especially if you're going cross-branch, you don't probably see that as much, more so in the special ops community. But those standards are in place to ensure your safety and ensure that things are done right. Yeah. I agree. Um, 
you have to do things the, uh, the correct way or things get fucked up. Speaking of things getting fucked up because you don't do a, them the correct way, what were your thoughts on um, Secretary Clinton and her whole classified email scandal and being sick and not saying she was sick? What do you think about that this week? Oh, man, I don't even know where to start with her because it just seems – and it, you know, and it's not just her either. Obviously, Trump's a – he's a cartoon as well. But my biggest thing with Hillary saying, oh, I didn't know things were classified. Hillary, you, <laughs> you were the Secretary of State. Yeah. Now, and Chaps, if you remember from like sixth grade social studies, the Secretary of State is fourth in line in mm-hmm. the country. Listeners, you can fact check me on that. That's right. So it's like, yo, Hill, you're like, you're, you're like fourth string QB. You're two ankles and an ACL away from being in the game. And you're going to tell me you didn't know that that C meant that something was classified? I just, I have a real hard time believing that. That someone who was educated at Wesley and Yale can just be so cavalier about not knowing something that, oh, by the way, is extremely rudimentary. That is something you are like, you are ingrained in you at the lowest level of security clearances. Cause there's, there's multiple levels of security clearance. And obviously she is towards the top of the pyramid there. But even if at the basic security, uh, excuse me, a uh, secret level of uh, clearance, you know that if a document is marked with a C or a confidential, then Oh, yeah. Yeah. Means, probably shouldn't share this. And it means it's confidential. It doesn't mean it's in alphabetical order. Oh, my God. I can't believe her sometimes. Yeah, like, I, that's how I felt about it, too. It was just, it's such just a blatant bullshit answer. Like, it's just not fucking true. Like, what you're saying, like, it's not, you know it's classified because it says it's classified clearly. Like, mm-hmm. and there's been several things about her campaign that have been that way as well, that it's just a disingenuous answer. Um I would have had a lot more respect for her if she would have said, you know what, I was a secretary of state at the time, so I am one of the highest ranking peoples in government. I looked at the documents that were sent to me, and I didn't believe that they were of a classified nature to the degree that they were classified. If she says that, that's fine because as a secretary of state, you are a subject matter expert in, oh, I don't know, things that are classified. Like that's – that's part of your job. Like you need to have that clearance so you're able to make those type of statements. If she said everything that I sent that had a classified dign- – because you know it could be an E3 that puts the classified designation on something. Mm-hmm. Somebody that's only been in the Army or the, the military for six months, nine months, they could put the classified designator on it, and it goes to her right away. Like one of her assistants that happens to go through like a major or something before it hits her desk. All she has to say to have an answer that makes sense is, I didn't think that that was actually classified material, so I responded to it on the normal channels. And I I feel like it goes away a lot faster because, one, you you give some credibility to your expertise about what should be classified and what should not be. Mm -hmm. But you don't sound like an idiot by saying, I didn't – how do you not realize that it's a classified document? That's just amazing. You look ignorant if you say you don't realize that it's not a classified document. Yeah, that just reminds me, you know, younger soldiers, you know, I expect something like that from them because they don't know any better. Yeah. Hillary, you you need to know better. Yeah. You you need to not give me this bullshit answer that, oh, I didn't know. It reminds me like a lot of times when a soldier would do something wrong, they knew it was wrong and you would ask, 
well, who told you to do that? And inevitably, they, the soldier would always say, well, they would start the sentence, well, they said, no, and you'd be like, whoa, 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 no, stop. Who the fuck is they? Who is they? <laughs> and then you could it's see. the best pronoun in the military for a oh, young enlisted dude. Like, you they could, did. Yeah. You could see in their I eyes. I don't know, somebody with more black on their collar than me, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. And they didn't know, all right, am I supposed to actually give the name? Or if I give the name, am I, is that person going to get in trouble? And it was always the funniest thing. And I actually had one NCO. He went out and had name tapes, excuse me, name tapes for his uniform made that just said they, just to screw with people. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the level of sponsorship. <laughs> that's kind of fucked up because DJ Khaled stole that. Like, they don't want you to be successful. Like, yeah. They don't want you to. But we're going to. But Jesus, I mean, Hillary, come on. Like, you're going to, you, you want to be the president, and these are the answers you're giving me. And honest to God, politics aside, whether you're Republican, Democrat, you know, down the middle, I don't give a shit. I cannot have a president who is giving me this level of bullshit of an answer. And I have no idea who you're talking about right now, because it could be either one. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And don't get me wrong, like, I don't expect, listen, I'm not naive. I don't expect politicians to be 100% honest 100% of the time because... No, you can't do it. No. The, the American public needs to be in the dark about a lot of things. You know, you find me... Go, go find me a politician who's 100% honest. That, that just doesn't exist. Like, we're told people, politicians are honest, but that's like telling me the G-spot exists. Like, yeah, it does All right, it's there, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Science, nobody, nobody science says it. it does, but science says that the Earth was created 6,000 years ago. We don't know if that's true, too. Yeah, but so bottom line is I need I need better answers out of her. So with the whole Hillary thing, Colin Powell, who is oh, one man. of my like military heroes, like there most Marines I would I would think most Marines would say that their heroes of modern day would be General Mattis because General Mattis is famous for his quote for saying, um, "Oh God, I just forgot it. Hold on, it'll come back." Way to go. That's good podcasting. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Way to so, not have it written down. <laughs> oh, he said, I did not come. Uh, I'm pleading with you with tears in my eyes. Um, fuck. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, traumatic brain injury, baby. Gotta love it. Can't remember fucking simple quotes. Sorry to hear that. Anyway, so we'll uh, we'll edit you that out. Chesty, you got any chesty puller quotes then? I have a chesty puller tattoo on my arm. Really? What yeah. is it? Is I, it just like on the of, yeah, inside of my bicep is his face, and I have John Bassalone on my forearm. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, all of a marine right there. So you could tell I used to be a pretty motivated eat up dude. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so Mattis was like the famous dude, like he's like the super famous guy. So many marines want him to run for president. And he would be a terrible, terrible president just because he doesn't give a fuck. Like he mm-hmm. will, like he will destroy a village in a heartbeat and go home and eat a sandwich like it's not something that's going to affect him so colin powell when he was a young lieutenant i read his biography and this is one of my favorite stories ever i used to tell my young marines it all the time colin powell when he first got when he was sent to vietnam he was on his first training mission and he went out in a humvee just to be like security detail riding shotgun with a first lieutenant he was a second lieutenant at a time and there was a major who was leading the convoy on the training mission well, they stopped halfway through after about four hours, and they got out. And Colin Powell's weapon fell out uh, of his pocket, out of his sidearm. Have you ever heard this story? I don't believe I have, no, so continue. I'm uh, interested to hear the ending. So his sidearm fell out of his pocket when they got out of the Humvee, 
and they continue going for four more hours. Ooh, well, that's that's not good when you lose a weapon. Well, he thought he lost the weapon. The major okay. behind him, whenever they were like taking a piss break, saw the weapon, picked it up, looked at the serial number on the data sheet, and knew that it was Colin Powell's weapon, and he knew right. that he was a brand new second lieutenant. And for those that you don't know, second lieutenant is like your very first day. It's essentially the private of the officer rank. You don't know shit about anything. So the major and you get treated as such. Yeah. Especially with guys like me after a while, like you get treated yeah. like such because you come yeah. in, you're 22 years old and you try to tell somebody something and they're just like, go fuck off. So Side, side note, that's where I benefited just to jump back you, way back. Yeah, I can see that's a beneficial part about being at West Point. Well, no, 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 no. It had nothing to do with West Point. When I first showed up to my first platoon, because I had that year as a grad assistant, as a second lieutenant, mm. by the time I went through my officer course and got to my first platoon, I was already a first lieutenant, and that definitely helped me and gave me a little more Oh, so you got skipped out on a lot of the really bad shit that you yes. went through, because that was brutal yes. to second lieutenants. Yeah, oh yeah, and as well you should. I mean, that's you know that's how you cut your teeth in the Army as an officer, is, you know, to have some NCOs get in your ass, but... Um, so yeah, that definitely helped. It didn't give me a lot more credibility, but just, just a smidgen. But Yeah, first lieutenant, you've, you've been there a little bit. A little so, bit. So the major picks it up. And the major tells his his um, his sergeant that's driving the convoy, stop, like over everybody's calm, like stop. There was reports of shot fired three hours or at the location where they stopped. Mm-hmm. And he, he was like, there's reports of several shots fired and there's multiple children dead in the area. So they had to do a weapons check, you know, like – they, yep. You stop a convoy, you do a weapons check, make sure everybody has their weapon, everybody has all their gear, and shit like that. Just very, very typical military shit. And Colin Powell starts freaking out, like, in the the, the second to the lead vehicle. Mm-hmm. And he comes on the radio, and he's like, sir, I don't have my weapon. So the major tells him to get out of the vehicle. And he's like, tell me a little bit about yourself, son. And Colin Powell, uh, he's like, I'm a brand new second lieutenant. I've only been in country for like three days. I, it must've just slipped out. I'm so sorry. Like, I can't believe some children died about it. And the major said, I want you to remember whenever you're a field grade officer, a company grade officer, because you're going to have privates and you could ruin their career in the first day. I can ruin yours right now, but I'm not going to. And he showed him like compassion. And he was like, he handed him the weapon back and they got in and rolled out. And Colin Powell, he said that throughout his time that there was several different officers that he had, Schwarzkopf being one of them, mm-hmm. that fucked up along the way and he didn't discipline them because he got that little bit of, I think it was Schwarzkopf, might be misremembering that. But he no, had. Schwarzkopf was under him because he, uh, he was the Joint Chiefs and when Schwarzkopf was uh, leading the charge in Desert Storm. Yeah, so they had little issues. And so what. Colin Powell, his basically his leadership style was to bloom where you're planted. And he got the only punishment that he got was that he became the supply officer instead of leading infantry troops, which he wanted to do, which he had trained to do. And Colin Powell decided right there that I'm going to do the best, very best I can, no matter what situation I'm in, and I'm going to excel. And eventually he became a I think he I think he was the last five star, right? Like he was No, no, the last five star was MacArthur. Okay, so but he was the he was the supreme allied commander. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, pretty big deal, Secretary of State and shit like that. But none of that would have happened if that major would have charged him and did everything like he should have because he lost control of his weapon, like by the book 
answer, dude, he would have lost it. Yep. So Colin Powell, awesome. And Colin Powell's awesome because he used the phrase Bill Clinton is still dickin' bimbos. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is such a great euphemism. <laughs> Definitely adopt that. It's, it's amazing, like, in a modern culture where in everything, like, you say bimbo in any other, any other word, any other place, you're considered sexist. You say it mm-hmm. about Monica Lewinsky and people are like, eh. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, maybe that's okay. And it's but bizarre it how— just- it's bizarre. No, it's not just Monica, but no, no, no. But I was gonna say he didn't just go in on Clinton. Oh no, he went on everybody, which was awesome. Yeah, you remember what he said about Clinton? Oh, Hillary. Yeah. Uh, what did he say? Uh, no, I just read it this afternoon. Refresh my memory if you got it off the top of your head. That most of her mistakes have been to extreme because of extreme hubris, which is exactly what we were talking about. And I yeah. think that's true. Like, I think she looked at the she looked the American public in the face and said, "You're not smart enough to figure this out." That I didn't know what she's using ignorance as like a source of intelligence, which is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, that's actually pretty ridiculous when you try to wrap your brain around it. That she can get away with that with something that's just completely blatant. But yet here she is, and. Everybody in her camp is still cheering her name, despite the fact that she's half dead and making these mistakes. So now the half dead thing, I think that shit's so overblown. Like the <laughs> idea that in order to be president, you can never be sick in your entire life. Like you, you <laughs> essentially run for president for two years and you're like, oh, hell no. No, yeah. no, no, no. You had diarrhea. I remember in August of 2004, you had vicious and unrelenting <laughs> and insatiable diarrhea. You can't, you're unfit for the office. Yeah. And, and then Trump today saying that he's a good enough golfer to be on the PGA Tour at the age of 70 is absolutely baffling. Dude, he's ridiculous, but you know what? You, he's so ridiculous, you almost have to respect it because, are you are you a Seinfeld guy? You know Seinfeld? Of course, I'm a normal human being, yeah. All right, just make it sure. You know, I don't want to make assumptions here. Yeah. But anyway, so you know how, like, it's, it's certainly... Uh, a variation of Costanza's, it's not a lie if you believe it. For Trump, it's not ridiculous and preposterous and completely unbelievable. No, but you can't say believes- that because that's the same that Kim Jong-il would say. Like Kim Jong-il was like, no, I totally got 18. I got uh, 18 in a golf round. I mean, if the shoe fits and I'm not, you know. Kim Jong-Trump? Yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, Kim Jong-Trump, uh, but it's it's unbelievable. Like, I, I think if you put him to a lie detector, he would tell you he genuinely believes every single word that's coming out oh, of Oh, 100%. And that's what most psychopaths do. Like, and, like <laughs> they completely do. And I'm like, they do, man. Like, Trump is ridiculous. Like, the things, and his campaign is so brilliant because every day he says something that's so far out there that mm-hmm. there is no news cycle on him. Hillary, the email cycle was there because she said one crazy thing. She should have came out and had something completely different happen that was mind-blowing. Like, say that, yeah, I don't think that President Obama actually was from America. <laughs> she, she says she says that, and they're not talking about the emails anymore. Like, you got to move the needle, and that's like the total Trump thing. Yeah. I mean, I, and I was reading something today to the effect of how he – Trump – uses the media like no one ever has before and he really is truly a master at it and you have to give him credit for the way he just goes out there does whatever he wants doubles down on whatever he says and then completely just moves forward like nothing happened it truly is a skill 
and the the amount of adjectives that he has at his disposal at, there's like five like yeah very extremely like tremendous <laughs> yeah huge <laughs> this, his adjective selection is is like my daughter who's in the who's in the sixth grade it's pretty awesome speaking of presidents though we had some other good news come out today about another former president yeah about a new book of paintings you know i love art i'm a big fucking art dude that's big. awesome i am too actually so i george w bush whoever his pr people and i think that this is like the legit person that he is i think he had to fake the funk so long as a politician i feel like this is who george bush is he's i, I a, would agree with that he's a dude that just likes being on his farm he likes being on his ranch he likes to fucking paint cats and dogs like inside yeah. tomato plants like to me to go from being the leader of the free world to sitting and painting a picture of a kitten curled up inside a tomato plant is so amazing man like it's so good he really is just an endearing older man and he's very i think i'll probably get killed for this but he seems genuine um he you does know, I, I think he, you can describe him in a lot of ways, but I think he is definitely a genuine dude. And you know what? I'm biased. I don't know what your feelings. I think you, you enjoy him, but I'm biased because as a boss, he was tremendous. I mean, no one in recent memory has shown love to the military the way that he has. And I think he, if you read his memoir, he will always say that his greatest pleasure and the greatest joy out of being the president was being the commander in chief. So put his politics aside, put us going to Iraq, Afghanistan, put all that aside. That's a lot to put aside though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a putting a, like 11,000 deaths aside is pretty substantial. All right. That's fair. All right. You got me there, but I, I don't know. Just, I don't know that he ever did anything with uh, malcontent in his heart is what I'm saying, I guess. I think he always no, tried I, best. I feel like he did what you're supposed to do, like listen to your high-level intelligence advisors and things like that. And just, like we talked about it earlier before we started recording with Colin Powell, like Colin Powell is known as being like just the super straight shooter, except for his most famous moment ever when he's sitting in front of the United Nations and saying that we should invade Iraq because they have chemical weapons and nuclear weapons. Yeah, it's that's that's a difficult discussion for us to have because I think that'll bring out a lot of controversy. So, but that's easily his, uh, I guess, biggest snafu we could say. Yeah, and I don't think that he sat in that seat knowing that what he was saying wasn't true. I think you have to go along with your intelligence officers, and the high-level intelligence officer have to go with the guys on the ground, and those guys have to go with your gut. The intelligence community is a hard community to be in. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that when George Bush left office, I thought that he was one of the most unsuccessful presidents that I could ever remember. Despite the fact that he was gracious to me, I met him several times, and he was always super gracious um, Mrs. Bush was always incredibly gracious, but at the same time, you had any really good Bush stories? I don't mean to cut you off, but do you have any really good Bush stories? Dude is a fucking monster on a bike. So occasionally he would ask Marines like, "Hey, do you guys want to go biking, or do you want to go running, or do you want to go play basketball?" And we would be like, "Hell yeah!" Like, I mean, one like you like you have a choice. If the president, the commander chief, is walking outside and be like, "Do you guys want to go to a run?" Can you imagine like me as like an E4 being like, ah, you know, I don't actually Good. feel like it. I'm good here. I'm all set. Like, yeah. no thanks. 
So you're running through this, and you're just impressed because at the time he had to be in his 60s, and he's doing well, man. Like, he was just so nice, and Mrs. Bush would invite you inside for cookies, and, like, our first sergeant would sit there and, like, in the corner and be like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you will not go Let's inside. Cook you with some milk. Yeah, because you'd be there when it was, like, January. and. Yeah. It's snowing and it's cold at Camp David and you want to go inside and she wants to like help you out and be nice. But on the same token, the Obamas were just like that too. Like they were like incredibly nice. And I feel like especially working very closely, um, and I don't want to overshoot it. Like I wasn't an HMX one or anything. It wasn't like I saw them every day, but every time I was ever around them, they were always incredibly nice. Like I was at uh, in Long Island at the debates between John McCain and President Obama who was then Senator Obama, and I was standing behind the the curtain that they have on the base with my huge dog before both of them came out. And President Obama, he came up, or Senator Obama, he came up and he's like, how you doing tonight? He's like, that's a big old dog. And it was, man. It was like a 120-pound Czechoslovakian shepherd that was ready to fucking rock and roll and fuck somebody up with a quickness. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, that's a big old dog, and my dog, like, he was like, he was like, I don't think I want to pet that dog. And John McCain was like, I don't want to pet him either. And they had like a laugh behind the scenes. And you know, mm-hmm. like, like during presidential debates, like it's so vitriolic, like the entire time. That's and it, and it really put a different perspective for me. Like they were getting along behind the scenes. Like this is just like a show. Like it's, it really changed my perspective for for both of them. And John McCain, I mean, goes without saying, John McCain is a fucking monster. Absolutely, so. absolutely. No, I, I think people just forget that these people are human. Um, so you, you were very fortunate that you are of the very few that got to see them with that human element as opposed to the show that they put on pretty much 24-7 uh, for the rest of the world. So you're fortunate in that regard. Yeah, and I think that the world is kind of seeing that a little bit more when you're a lame duck. And I think George Bush's personality came out a lot more when he was a lame duck. And I wish that people could campaign like that because you'd be you'd have so many more guys that would be successful. I think Rubio is one of them. If Rubio was like his real self, like I think he would have stomped Trump, but he had to be this picture of whatever. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean that's hard to hard to say. So closing notes, I want to be upfront. Last week I talked about the Mark 19 grenade launcher, and I fucked up the maximum effective range. So I'm gonna be honest about it. I fucked it up. Um, the maximum effective range on a Mark 19. I hope I don't fuck it again because this will be really embarrassing to have to do this two weeks in a row. <laughs> the maximum effective range of a um, Mark 19 on a point target would be 1,600 meters, and actual would be 2,200 meters. You want to explain the difference there? So a point target, essentially, when you're talking about grenade, would be basically a 15-meter, 20-meter radius that you're going to hit inside. And an area target would be a little bit larger than that. So if you wanted to shoot a shotgun, for example, if you wanted to hit a bird with a on a point target, you would hit the bird completely with one bird shot. On an area target, you might be able to hit it, but it's only going to hit it with two or three of the pellets that are inside the bird shot of the shotgun. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Might not if you don't know shit about guns. Yeah. But, yeah. And I know that you wanted – that was mine, and mine was super not serious at all. And I know that because you're a West Point grad that there was some news this week that happened with one of the football players, and I know that you wanted to mention that. Yeah, no, so uh, as I'm sure a lot of people have seen in the news this week, um, Saturday late night into early Sunday morning, we had one of our 
players, Brandon Jackson, who was killed in a car accident. And that really uh, hits home for me, having played Army football. Uh, truly is a, a strong brotherhood. So when I, when I got that news, although I only met him one time, it kind of really hit home. Uh, tremendous kid. Um, heck of a player, two-year starter. We're going we're gonna to miss him on the field, but more importantly, off the field, everything his teammates and the staff and everyone at the academy that said about him is just such a tremendous kid and unbelievable. Um, so it's just uh, it's a tough loss, um, but you know we're going to keep powering on and uh, move on with the season because uh, I think that's what uh, Brandon would like. So just uh, you know, RIP to him. Yeah, and it's as as you get older, I feel like for myself, I know that when I was a young Marine and I was 23 years old was the first time I was probably 24. The first time that somebody that I had worked with or somebody that I knew was killed in the line of duty. And not that his death was in the line of duty, like combat wise, but it still affects you greatly. Like, especially as you get older, because you know what those guys have gone through and what they're looking forward to in the future. Like you as a graduate and like a, an army officer, you knew what was coming down for the road for him and seeing that that was stripped yep. away from him by something like a car accident is brutal. Mm-hmm. So to the army family, like the army experiences losses every single day. And to be a, to a guy that had so much promise, it just sucks. So yep. that's something that we're also going to try to do on this, especially during veterans day, Memorial day, try to bring to light some of the stories that are out there and not to be super sad sack and uh, bullshit like that, like I talked about on the intro, but we want to be real. And these are human lives, and I think a lot of times when you put numbers on it, even like I did earlier by saying that 11,000, those 11,000 has names, they have individual gravestones, and they line, the, they line the, the graveyard of Arlington and military cemeteries all over the place, and it's beyond fucking sad, and it needs to stop, man. Um, yeah. I don't know how you feel that. about it, but bring the fucking boys home, dude. Ridiculous. Yeah. No, I agree. And I mean, in addition to those, those lives, I mean, they leave behind the gold star families, the, the families that have, have lost someone. And, you know, a lot of times I think people tend to forget about those families. They, they see the, the gravestones and they remember the soldiers, the Marines um, and everyone else. But they forget about those families that are left behind with those, those scars that they're living with every day. So it's important to remember them, too. Yep. So that's it. We're going to end on a super sad note. Last time we talked about uh micro penises to end the show and this time we're talking about people dying so you never know what to expect on zero block 30 um hope you guys enjoyed this show as much as we enjoyed giving it to you and we will i don't i don't mean sex like we didn't give it to you like sex no no not like that like maybe verbal sex i don't even know how good you are at it chaps because i feel like you just had it like for the first time like recently no i was like i was like 12 years ago i'm pretty good like i mean no i'm not great I'm, I'm I'm probably batting like the Mendoza line at least like all right I mean that's better than nothing yeah I'm like probably 236 guy like, okay well I mean you're you're a good utility player I'm better than like 90% of the Braves there you go <laughs> yeah that's a good yep. accomplishment all right Connor man I'll talk to you again next week buddy all right sounds good chaps have a good night